102.7 ESPN Studios in Austin, Texas. This is the Jeff Ward Show. Hey, welcome to our little show. Here's the way it works. I riff on stuff and you react. The phone numbers, you'll need them. 512-834-1027. That's 512-834-1027. You want to follow me on Twitter or X, whatever we call it this week? I'm at Jeff Ward Show. You can post comments on Twitter or X or whatever we call it this week. You can post your comments uh, and just do this. Don't suck. Get to the point. Make the show better if you can. That's at Jeff Ward Show. Make sure you subscribe to and check out the Jeff Ward Show podcast. We drop it each afternoon. The Jeff Ward Show podcast is available wherever you download your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Seems to be doing pretty well. We drop that each afternoon. You know, on Mondays, I oftentimes, maybe always, I don't know, I like to talk about overreactions versus reality. And the reality is my own reality, so you can agree or disagree. So that's what we'll do now. There are overreactions, always. And then there's a pretty decent dose of reality. So let's try it. Overreaction. Texas A&M, your Caldwell Aggies, hit a home run with Jimbo Fisher's replacement. (laughs) Reality. No. No. Was it Detroit head coach Dan Campbell? No, it was not. Was it Deion Sanders? That would have been cool. No, it was not. Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that one fit. Urban Meyer. That's going to fix stuff in Caldwell. Urban Meyer. No. Uh, Mark Stoops, the head coach of Kentucky. Uh, no. Not only no on Mark Stoops. Oh, this hurt. This one hurt. Not only no on Mark Stoops, but reportedly he turned them down. <laughs> The head coach at Kentucky admitted over the weekend, this is Mark Stoops. The guy's done a very good job there. I'm not, I'm not dissing that. Um, he admitted over the weekend that he turned down, quote, a major program. That would be A&M. Uh, that stings. That one hurts. Fresh off the $150 million Jimbo Fisher embarrassment, the head coach at Kentucky, a guy that was doing great things at a basketball school, said No. So A&M hired a coach from another basketball school, the guy from Duke. His name is Mike Elko. He's been the head coach there for a couple of years. Duke is 7-5 and five this year. They went 9-4 and four last year. So there's a face painter argument that will work, if you would like. And then there's a realistic scenario that will also play out. So let me do this because it will make you happy because this is what people do whenever a coach is fired and a new one is brought in. You automatically think it's the next Vince Lombardi. Every single time we've, fill in the blank, we've hired the next Vince Lombardi. Okay, so face painters. Here's the upside. Face painters. He turned Duke, a school that doesn't care at all about football, a program that was three and nine the year before he got there, he flipped them from three and nine to nine and four. At which point, right now, face painters are going to say, "See, if you're Aggies, you'll say this: See, Longhorn Jeff, 
See? See what he did? I'm going to say, settle down. Settle down. Now, there's the face painter upside. Look what he did at Duke. It's hard to argue because he flipped that thing around at Duke. Yes. All right. If that's where you want to jump off and that's where you want to leave it, you go right ahead and do that. But I'm going to give you the comeback. The comeback is this. Charlie Strong, Tom Herman. I can keep going than a list of coaches that have won and won big. Chuck Strong set the world on fire at Louisville. So I can go down a list, a long list of coaches that wanted mid-tier or lower programs. Charlie Strong at Louisville, Tom Herman at Houston, and it doesn't translate at football blue bloods. It doesn't. Most of the time, it doesn't translate. It doesn't really add up at first. On the, on the, on the surface, you're going to say, wait a second. I mean, you can flip Louisville. You can flip Houston. You can flip Duke. We'll just get the stuff at A&M. Surely you can win. Yeah, Texas has done it countless times. Countless times. No. It usually doesn't work. Why it doesn't work is weird. But let me, give me a chance to pour water on this and be a total buzzkill. Um, here's why you don't know that it will work. I'll be applied. I'm not going to say the guy's going to flame out at a and I'm not going to say that. Usually it doesn't work. But here's what you don't know. Because when you try, if you're an A&M or you're in Texas, you try to make sure what you do know. You need a slam dunk. You've just burned through a couple hundred million dollars on an absolute idiotic hire that is flamed out in an embarrassing way, you need a home run and you don't have it here because you don't know. You don't know what coaching at Duke means in comparison to coaching at A&M means. And I'm going to tell you, they're completely different jobs. The reason why it doesn't translate, they're completely different job descriptions. So A&M needed and wanted better than you don't know. This is what happens with guys that do these amazing things at these startups, at these basketball schools, okay? Or these mid-tier programs. You don't know. And you needed a slam dunk. You needed to know A&M, and they don't know. They can talk themselves into it, but the streets are littered with guys that it just didn't work. So being the head coach at a football factory, okay, um, doesn't... Understand, mid-tier doesn't translate into a blue blood. Being a head coach at a football factory like A&M, where they throw all the money at it, obviously, it's a different job description than being the head coach at Duke, Houston, or Louisville. I know it doesn't sound like it. I know you're going to say, well, that, that, what do you mean? You're just a football coach. You recruit. I mean, it's got to be easier. It's a different job description. It is. Coaching at A&M is not coaching at Duke. Coaching at AM is not coaching at Louisville or Houston or, you know, go down the list. When you're at Duke, Mike Elko was at Duke, or Charlie Strong was at Louisville, you're grinding to win at football. You are obsessed with it. You're thrown in the middle of it. You are grinding at football to win. You're spending time grinding at winning in football. You're grinding with coaches. You're grinding with recruits. You're grinding at the job of being a football coach. That's what you do at Duke. That's what he did at Duke, I'm sure. I'm sure every waking moment they were talking about football stuff and recruiting stuff and you know just, just making guys play better. You go to A&M, and guess what you end up doing? 
You don't do that. You give speeches to fans. You give speeches to alumni. And most importantly, you kiss the ass of rich men that own your program. That's what you do. You don't grind. You're not coaching. You're just sucking up. You're the PR person for Football Inc. When you're fixing a program at Duke, for example, you just grind at football. The job is football. The job is to try to figure out a way to win at football. When you inherit a program, you inherit a sales and PR job. When you inherit the A&M program, particularly now, after they've had a giant flame out, there are people now that have given money. There are people now more intimately involved than ever before. You're answering to them. You're not answering to coaches and players. You're answering to rich people. When you inherit that program, you inherit the sales job and the PR job, not the football job. It's a different skill set from fixing a program. I know it seems hard to believe, but think, think it through what happens with these guys that go from the startups, these fix-it projects, to a blue blood, and why in the world it wouldn't work. And the streets really are littered with more times than not, it doesn't work. Ask Texas. You're not grinding football. You're pitching and you're selling and you're sucking up. Guys that are used to football and recruiting don't always translate. That's really what they probably like to do, and it takes a different breed of cat to jump into a place, a blue blood program, where you're having to just deal with a bunch of people, particularly rich people. Hiring a guy from Duke is a risk. I don't care how many games he wins. Hiring a proven head coach, not so much. They're not like-minded jobs, not like-minded mindsets, not similar descriptions. Now you're going to say, well, if that's true, Longhorn Jeff, why didn't it work with Jimbo Fisher? Okay, because you paid him too much, and like any person, he was set. The incentive was mostly gone. You pay any one of us $150 million with no risk at all? Yeah, we're probably going to be pretty lazy and pretty lousy, too. Give anybody $100 million, and I suspect they get worse at their job. So here's the optimistic way of looking at it. Here is what I think you can't say. I mean, if you want to argue with what I've just laid out about these mid-tier startup programs and how it doesn't translate, that's fine. Uh, let's argue about it. But here is the flip side, and it's a, it's a modern solution, I think. Here's what you can hope happens to a guy coming from Duke to A&M. And don't start this stuff when he coached his assistant at A&M. Yeah, he was a football guy. Now he's a PR guy. Here's how it can work at A&M with, uh, with a guy from Duke. The Steve Sarkeesian template. Because you could say the same stuff that I just said about Steve Sarkeesian, a guy that bounced around and bounced around, although he'd been a head coach before, but bounced around and bounced around. Well, why would it work at Texas then in the short term? Now, let's be careful here. That's one good season. Let's be a little careful. It's one good season for Steve Sarkeesian. But the template is this. Um, a good mind that has a lot of the CEO stuff. You're the face of the franchise. You're the marketer of the franchise. You're not the football coach. You're the marketer of the franchise. If some of that stuff is taken off Mike Elko's plate, and it's about you know, coaching, because here's the advantage that A&M has that Texas has. They can buy players. That's it. it, it 
You just go and outbid everyone else. You have more money. You'll spend more money. You'll get the best players. It is, it's free agency now in college football with the highest bidder getting the best players. Now, you can screw that up, but part of the fight, part of the different mindset of going from a Duke to chasing you know, blue-chip high school players that A&M wants is that now you don't have to do too much of a sales job with them because you just give them more money. So it may be that a guy doesn't have to do all that much recruiting because you're just going to pay him off anyway. And no, I'm not picking on A&M. It's exactly what Texas and USC do. Recruiting players is not hard when you outspend everybody but Texas and USC. If he and his coaching staff can manage the payola system of today, he might be fine. Might be. Mike Elko might work. The argument is A&M needed a sure thing. And you don't have it with a guy from Duke. Overreaction. The Philadelphia Eagles are more lucky than good. Hear this a lot. Hear this a lot. Reality. Shut your face. Are you kidding? <laughs> are you kidding? Everyone who's saying this, are you kidding? At, at some point, you have to acknowledge winning is not an accident. Okay? It just doesn't just... You don't get lucky enough to win that often. Coming back to win repeatedly is not an accident. The Eagles are 10-1. and one, And the, the tone of the day is, well, they're lucky to get there. That's crazy. They've won four straight when treading at halftime. They're not accidental. When the Eagles beat Dallas, I said the difference between the two teams is one team is a master closer. Dallas played them. Dallas arguably outplayed Philadelphia in Philadelphia. They're inches away from beating them. And then I made the comment at the time, that team, that Eagles team, that franchise, that brand, they just know how to close. They just close the deal. And there's something to be said for that. That's what's happening now. That was five or six weeks ago, and they keep doing it. It's not an accident. They beat Buffalo 37-34 when anyone with a pulse would have said, if Buffalo scores 34 in Philadelphia, they win and probably win pretty easily. And most people would have made that bet. Except they didn't. Because you don't. Because Philadelphia just closes. They just close. They just win. They, in whatever form it needs to take, notice how they just keep taking that form. They win in a variety of ways. That's not an accident. The Eagles score 37 because it's what they do. It's just what they do. They close, and a big reason they close. If you're looking for the reasons, yeah, they're built in. The reason they close is, one, their quarterback is a calm, emotionless surgeon. There's no up or down. It's just a surgeon going to work. He keeps engineering drives to win no matter what he needs to do. That's Jalen Hurts. He's a surgeon. He threw, what, four passes in the second half against Buffalo, and three were touchdowns. Their defense, when they need to stop, right, Dallas? When they need a stop, they get it. Just ask the, ask the Cowboys how that works out. Well, but it's a few inches away. But notice how they keep doing it over and over again. They need a clutch kick. Yeah. They get it. Think of this difference. Just to prove to you just sort of this difference in, I guess, for no other term than DNA. Think of the difference in the outcomes, right? The Texans, who are 
just a pleasure. I mean, they have found their way back from the dead. They have found their way back from being irrelevant. They they are interesting. They're exciting. They got a superstar quarterback, a cool head coach. I mean, stuff is working and going in the right direction for the Texans, except notice how it ends. Just notice. The Texans have a game-tying kick. They do everything right. He hits the ball well. It hits the crossbar and bounces off. Ah, it's close. Right, they're close. Teams are close. Good teams are close. The Eagles are there. They're just there. Whatever they have to do, it goes their way because they make it. So the Eagles, uh, Jake Elliott, in a driving rain, a cold rain, he blasts, and I'm not saying that as a joke, he blasts a 59-yard field goal that had at least three to five yards to spare because that's what he does because that's what the Eagles do. And then they just win. And you think, man, we had them. But you didn't. You didn't have them. They're going to lose somewhere along the way, right? It's just law of averages is going to catch up, okay? But, but I don't think they're winning is just luck by any stretch, there's no way you do it this often. It didn't. Same thing with Brady. It took a long time for people to appreciate Brady, the surgeon. After a while, you start to realize, man, he gets it late in the game. They're going to win. Philadelphia gets in a game. They're going to win. It's in their DNA. It's just they have a DNA unlike anybody else in the NFL right now. Overreaction. Texas will get shut out of the college football playoff. You know, the playoff, the asinine setup of four teams picked by bureaucrats staying in an airport Hilton. You know, that playoff, that really big playoff, that masterful playoff, that real fair playoff that we have that's not really a playoff. Texas will get shut out of it. Reality. Probably, but there's a decent chance. In fact... Texas's chances, I think, keep getting better. Not great. I'm not arguing that. But they're not shut out by any stretch. In fact, they've sort of inched their way closer to getting into the asinine playoff that's not really a playoff. Every week, the Texas path gets clearer. Not a great path, but it just seems to get a little clearer. And it's not an outrageous scenario. Okay, so follow me on this. It's, you know, these stories are done everywhere now. But step one, the name. Yeah. Don't tell me the bureaucrats in an airport Hilton don't care about names and brands. It seems pretty obvious they do. So step one is the name. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Just like Georgia is going to get the benefit of the doubt. They're blue blood. The goofy committee is influenced by big names. Number two. They get to blow out their last two opponents, uh, while everyone else, if you've noticed, has tough games. I know, I know what you're going to say. Don't, don't be too logical here. Uh, the process isn't logical. It's, a, it's an art show. You're going to say, well, that's not right, Jeff, because uh, these are other competitive games, playing competitive programs. Right. You're exactly right. doesn't matter. They get to blow out their last two opponents. Um, Texas beats Oklahoma State for the Big 12 championship. They should blow them out. It is a terrible matchup for Oklahoma State, and it's a really good matchup for Texas. 
It's a real poss- possibility. I should say a probability they blow out Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State cannot stop the run. That was Oklahoma State struggling with BYU. They can't stop the run at all. That's a giant problem because Texas can run and should and will. Next, Oklahoma State's best chance is to run on Texas. Again, a problem. Bad matchup for Oklahoma State. That's a Texas strength. Texas should win that easily. Okay, there's part two. Number three, Florida State loses. They lose their conference championship game. Uh, They just struggled with Florida. It's not outrageous to say they could lose. Not likely, but it makes the path fairly clear for Texas. Then step four, Alabama beats Georgia. Didn't say it was likely, but but here's the thing. Georgia's due for a bad day. Georgia is due. It just happens. Law of averages will get them. Georgia's due for a bad day, and Alabama is as hot as anyone, and Nick Saban has done one of his best coaching jobs in, in years. So I know it's iffy. I, I, I wouldn't probably place the bet on it, but it's possible. Then Washington beats Oregon again. By the way, both of those teams should be in the playoff. That's not really a playoff, but it's not going to happen. So both of them should be over Texas in the playoff. That's not really a playoff. But the loser is likely out. Oregon is the better team, but for Texas to get in, they need a Washington win. And I wouldn't make that bet either. But the path for Texas over the last few weeks has become clearer. It's becoming more possible. There. Problem solved. Jeff Ward. Weekdays on 102.7 ESPN. Pass the ball to the Jeff Ward Show. On 102.7 ESPN. Now back to the Jeff Ward Show. All right, on Twitter, it's at Jeff Ward Show. You, You knew I couldn't let it go. I couldn't. I didn't see it coming. Like a lot of you, I didn't see this coming. Yeah, I had a Cabernet. I had a good run of the turkey trot. Done it every year for 20-something years. Burned a lot of calories. And then there it was, like a lot of you. Thanksgiving. Sick of your family already. You're watching Dallas dismantle the terrible Washington Commanders whose coach is dead man walking. I was trying to think... Who in the NFL gets fired next? I, I, I assumed it would have been Ron Rivera of Washington after that ass-kicking Dallas put on them, but it wasn't. It was, uh, it was the guy in Carolina, Frank Reich, right? Frank's done. He had 11 games. So uh, Ron Rivera's got to be dead man walking. By the way, there is no hotter team than Dallas right now. They're just, they're just on fire. Now, they're going to hit a period where it's a tough, tough part of the schedule, no doubt. But tell me someone hotter than Dallas right now. Dak Prescott has never been better. CeeDee Lamb has positioned himself for a giant payday. And he's on his way to a Pro Bowl season, I think. But that stuff doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter at all. The stuff that matters is what happened at halftime. What happened at halftime. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a halftime watcher. I'm not a pregame watcher. I don't watch much of anything. I have these attention issues, so I just uh, have to go and be in silence. Um, But here we go. 
Nothing else matters but halftime. I mean, you may want to talk about the Cowboys and I talk about the Commanders. I don't care. It's just not going to matter. It pales in comparison to what really happened that night. So there you were. Um, what happened at halftime is exactly what you and your family thought would happen at halftime. You probably bet on it. You're sitting around going, you know what? I don't like you and I don't like you either, but let's bet on the halftime. Let's put some money down on what's about to happen during the halftime show. And I'm sure a lot of you had Dolly Parton taking the stage at AT&T Stadium in a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader outfit. Yes, the shorts and boots. And you also had in your pool, you're gambling with your family. You also had Dolly Parton singing Stairway to Heaven. You lost. See, that part you lost. I thought, I'm sitting there, pouring out the glass, Paso Cabernet. I thought, you know what I'm thinking Dolly Parton's going to do tonight? She's going to do Stairway to Heaven, like seven minutes of it. The whole halftime show is going to be Dolly Parton covering Stairway to Heaven. And I was wrong. The rest of it, everyone, we all had right. She's going to be wearing that outfit. She's going to be hanging on the side of something. Uh, like, I, I don't know why. And then she's going to have the worst lip syncing I've ever seen in my whole life. But I really messed up when I thought she would do Stairway to Heaven. But if you had her covering Queen's We Are the Champions, you're a winner. You're a winner. If you bet with your family and you said, you know what's going to happen at halftime of the Cowboys game? Dolly Parton's going to come out in an outfit, a cheerleading outfit. She's going to have to lean on the side of something. I don't know why. And she's going to do We Are the Champions. You want some money. I don't do acid. I don't do hallucinogenics. I do Paso Robles cabs. I think I suffered an acid trip. Those of you that do acid, is that what it's like right there? It's just so freakish and so bizarre and somewhat painful, but so weird that you hang in there. Is that what acid is like? That's not what my Cabernet is like. It's very calm. Yeah. Yep, there it was. Dallas is dismantling Washington. Dak Prescott's on fire. Washington just sucks. I thought that Ron Rivera would get fired after the game, and everything I thought that I knew was thrown off because Dolly Parton is covering a Queen song at halftime. to do I looked around the room and I thought I'm tripping out on something something happened somebody like what happened to me just now I don't know I didn't see the camera pan up to the owner's box for Jerry Jones tell me he wasn't dancing tell me tell me he was nowhere near that stage of her lip syncing in the most horrific way I've ever seen 
Somewhere in here. How many songs did she do? My God, how long was this halftime show? Seven minutes. Good gosh. When does she? How long does this song last? She did do "We Are the Champions," didn't she? Am I, am I tripping out on that part too? Is, is that real? Is that? Am I wrong? Is this really an acid trip after all? Oh. We skip forward at all or not? Is this some sort of NFL uh, conspiracy where you have to watch the whole thing? said I like this so why I'm not dissing her why Jerry why did the crowd have lighters too phones that sounded old. Did that sound like an old man? Oh my gosh, that was an old man. That was bad. That was bad. The phones. Did any of you? Oh shit! I can't believe it happened. It's not okay. Everyone, it's not okay. It didn't need to happen. You didn't need to go there. You didn't need to go there. I, I'm, I hate to play into it, but I don't think the song choice was an accident. I think it was a. You didn't need to go there in any way, shape, or form. Good luck to you, Dolly Parton. She seems like a very generous person. I'm sure a lot of money was raised. That's great, but that was horrific. It's just horrific. You know what halftime show should be? Just shut up and turn off the lights. Just sit there. You want to donate some money? Go donate some money. That is a Jerry Jones production, and we all know it. And I don't think for a single second the song choice was an accident. Did she do Stairway to Heaven? Is that another trip of mine? That was some bad Cabernet, I guess. Man. No, no, don't do it. Just don't do it. The world's not a better place for that. It's just not. And I know you're going to say, but it's all for charity. Well, good. Nobody's stopping you from donating money. You didn't have to hear that to donate money. I wanted a player. I mean, I'm thinking it's a player. What the hell is that noise out there? What's going on? (laughs) They're on fire in the second half, so I guess I guess we are the champions. Maybe they'll play that as the theme song throughout. 
right? Jerry will buy the rights to it. The cover of We Are the Champions, of course, done by Dolly Parton, who did it before Queen, as you all know. And uh, they'll just pipe it in every game, every opportunity. It'll be it'll be the new theme song of the Dak Prescott-led Dallas Cowboys. Jeff Ward, weekdays on 102.7 ESPN. I don't like that kid. For all the complaining of the last 15 years, I'm an expert on this. I'm an expert on complaining in Austin, Texas. So follow me. For all of the complaining of the last, it's more than 15 years, to be honest, brief history lesson about Austin, Texas for the four people that were even here in the early 2000s. The current mayor of Austin, Kirk Watson, was the mayor then. I don't know how many different times I've sent a message over there to do an interview and nothing yet. But I remember Kirk Watson way back in his first time as mayor of Austin saying he pitched the idea of a living wage because the concern was at the time so great that people would be would not be able to afford to live close to downtown. And he, and he wasn't wrong, by the way. These Obviously, these fears were were justified. And so it was, it was a constant discussion. This was during the first, at the time, this is going to sound goofy, it was during the dot-com boom, all right? Sort of the first wave of, techs, of tech and people moving here and making a lot of money and people spending a lot of money, and all of a sudden this city became like a miniature Aspen. So he talked, the city council talked, those of us in the media business talked, cost of living, cost of living, how are people going to afford it, how are teachers going to afford it, how are firefighters going to afford it, blah, 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 blah. This is 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Then the discussion goes on and on and on. Uh, it is two things have been talked about most over the past 20-something years in Austin, traffic and cost of living. Traffic is not talked about nearly as much, partly pandemic, partly people have moved. Most everybody is from somewhere else, and they're saying, hey, traffic's not that bad compared to where I came from. So that, that, that discussion has been minimized greatly. The other would be cost of living. And again, a lot of people, of which vast majority of people have recently moved here, they're saying, thinking, man, that's why I moved here, cost of living. So let me just set this up. There's an amazing new economic theory to solve the problem. I think I said it probably 21 years ago, repeated it every two weeks for 23 years now. But here is an amazing new economic theory that solves the cost of living problem. Okay, please understand the history of this issue. It's very complicated, right? Because it's been traffic and cost of living. Traffic, forget that. Okay, cost of living is debated, has been debated over and over again by city council after city council after city council after mayor after mayor after mayor. Everyone says the same stuff. This is going to shock you. Nothing has been done because nothing can be done. I remember the first time of the 500 times that I said it, people said, you suck, you're a terrible human being, what are you talking about, you hate Austin, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if it was liberal, communist, whatever terms you could throw at me. Let me do it again. Nothing has been done because it can't be done until now. 
All right, it's really complicated. Here it goes. The price is going to go down when demand goes down. Have a nice day. Crazy, huh? Isn't that a wild concept? The price will go down when demand will go down. I think I've said that nothing short of 7,000 times. Well, guess what? Look out. Look out. Something's, <laughs> something's happening. Uh, all right, so what's the tipping point? I don't know how many different times I've said, you know, I wonder what the tipping point is. When, when does it turn? When does it start to turn? When, do, when does the price go down? Because demand goes down. Nothing else Nothing else changes it. Notice how nothing can happen. Nothing has happened. There's no fix. There's no tinkering. You're going to see the prices go down when the demand goes down. Never knew what the tipping point was. I remember those of us, the three of us that are from here, have said, well, there's going to be a tipping point. There's always been a tipping point, but we haven't really hit that tipping point. So this morning about 4 o'clock, doing what I do, read, um, it had to happen sooner or later. It, no, it has to happen sooner or later. That is, demand goes down. According to Business Insider, we're almost there. Almost there. Okay, and the reasons we're almost there, not, not for certain that we've hit that tipping point of demand going down, and I think these things should be pretty obvious to you, but that tipping point, according to Business Insider and the numbers now, we're, we're getting really, really close. Probably the closest we've been in decades to demand going down. Okay, are you ready for the reasons for the tipping point? Also really shocking and complicated. Here they are. Uh, one, well, it's not cheaper. Two, the politics are dumb and redneck. Three, it's hot. There. Congratulations. Problem almost fixed. It didn't take any politician. It didn't take any policy. We didn't fix housing. We didn't fix Jack. Guess what's doing it according to Business Insider? It turns out it's no longer cheaper. The politics are dumb and redneck. And it's really freaking hot. There. Yeah, Business Insider today. People are leaving Texas over rising costs, partisan politics, and a sense of disenchantment. As I said, I read that as, one, it's not cheaper. Two, politics are dumb and redneck. Three, it's hot. Hotter than someone knew. Too hot. Texas has experienced a surge in popularity during the pandemic that drove home prices up more than 30%. All of this is sort of centered around Austin. While people have been moving to the Lone Star State to take advantage of its relatively affordable real estate market, politi political atmosphere, and work opportunities, some of those same qualities are now driving people out. Go ahead and fight with me all you want, but I'm pretty sure it's, one, it's really not getting any cheaper, two, Politics is dumb and redneck, and people just, it just wears you out. Three, it's hot. I guess that's the tipping point. Am I saying we're there? I, I, I don't think so, but this says we're really close. Um, all right, so over, 400, over 494,000 people have left the state over the last two years. Now, the net gain is still 170-something. I guess all 170 of them are in Austin, where we were netting something like 50 people a day for a while. Um, but, but, Business Insider says 
These issues are intensifying as housing costs surge. The political landscape has become more polarized. In other words, it's redneck. People are going, are you kidding me? If you talk about another social issue, I'm out. Well, they're out. What a shock. It's not cheaper. You guys are a bunch of rednecks, and it's too freaking hot. There. Cost of housing fixed. Didn't have to elect anybody? Well, you did. You elected some knuckleheads. Um, now, I, I don't know exactly. I don't have the metric. I don't know what a lot of you real estate experts know. I just know that that price does not go down until demand goes down. And Business Insider says you guys are getting really close to demand going down because of these issues. Like we couldn't figure that out. We couldn't figure it out, right? All right, phone number 512-834-1027. That's 512-834-1027. Uh, this is, it, it could have been scary. I'm just going to tell you that I don't know anything terrible that happened. So the NFL Network is, I like it. I watch it. It's kind of just the only thing I can really watch that in Premier League soccer. Then everything has to be turned off. The NFL has this thing during the day. It's called NFL Red Zone. It's cool. It's just, you know, they they they, they can take you into Every single game, every single data point, it is a fantasy football nerd's dream. It is a gambler's dream. It's uh, great technology. It's well done. And then here we go to NFL, Red Zone, and the guy with the big voice calmly says, everyone panic. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a first in my 20-something year broadcasting career. We have an alarm going off in the studios of NFL Red Zone right now, in our studios here in Inglewood, California. We are being told we need to evacuate the building. We do not know the nature of the emergency. You can probably hear the alarm going right over the top of my right shoulder here, uh, as it is something absolutely unprecedented for us. You know, I watched that, and I thought, first of all, wow, you went to broadcasting school, didn't you? You really had to go there? You had to act like that? Why don't you just turn around and tell somebody to go pull the alarm, rip it out of the wall, and let's move on. It's football season. But listen to this guy. I'm telling you, he lowered his voice, and he went full-on Walter Cronkite in, in a blink of an eye. Listen to yes. him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a first in my 20-something year broadcasting career. No way. We have an alarm going off in the studios of NFL Red Zone right now, in our studios here in Inglewood, California. We are being told we need to evacuate the building. We do not know the nature of the emergency. You can probably hear the alarm going right over the top of my right shoulder here, uh, as it is something absolutely unprecedented for us. We have this game yeah blah 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 you know what 99% of the audience you know the people that watch the red zone let me tell you the people who watch the red zone fantasy nerds and gamblers and you know what 99% of the viewers were saying right in that moment hey knucklehead I don't care if you catch on fire do not cut away from these games make sure you check out the Jeff Ward Show podcast on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts